Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 36. Isaiah chapter 36. Today we're going to be discussing the strategy of Satan. Now, normally in our lives, we really don't identify when the enemy is really coming at us. And you have to understand that this supernatural being is strategizing against you with his all his power, all his mights, all his army. And while you sleep, he's planning out your day to make you fall, to make you go away from Christ, to get you consumed with ideas other than God, and to distract you, to stumble you, and eventually to destroy you. Or maybe even have you destroy yourself. And he lives for this. He exerts all his energy to this. He never sleeps. And he plans strategically and hard. He plans hard to strategize against you every single day. But how many Christians have a strategy against him? How many Christians plan a strategy to be able to withstand him? You know your weaknesses. You know where you stand. You know how he comes at you. Do you have a strategy against him? Do you have a strategy to stand against him? And do you have a strategy to be consecrated to the Lord? Because if a being that's so much more powerful than we are, so much more intelligent than we are, is coming after us with everything he's got, shouldn't we be prepared? Shouldn't we look and say, God, help me, prepare me? Because whether you like it or not, whether you accept it or not, whether you're a Christian or not, he's coming at you full power. And it's up to you how you stand and what happens. Because God leaves the choice with you. He gives you the freedom of choice. To follow him or not. And so we're going to look how the enemy comes at us. What Hezekiah does here. And how God responds to that. So that we can see the warfare that's going on in the background. Because the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Where are the strongholds? Here. The believing of lies, the stumbling, the, the I can't get free. The weapons of God are strong here. To cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we're going to see what happens here. In Isaiah chapter 36, Isaiah the prophet uh, is uh, speaking to King Ahaz and the, or King Hezekiah as the situation is going on. Now a little bit of background to this. King Ahaz was one of the most wicked kings of Judah. And that was his father. That was Hezekiah's dad. And one of the things that he did is because he wasn't following God, he had all these warfares going on, and he had to deal with all of it. And he called on the king of Assyria, and he sent him all this money, 
and said, hey, come back me up and take out Syria and, and Israel from taking me out. And then I will pledge to you. I will, you know, I will be a subservient nation to you. I will follow you. And so the king of Assyria did go down and he took Syria. But then he also went down all the way down to Judah, to Jerusalem where Ahaz was. And Ahaz, after he beat Syria, he went up there and he saw the god Ashur, you know, the war god of the Assyrians, and said, oh man, I'm going to worship your god. And then when the king of Assyria came down to Jerusalem, he imposed this heavy tax on him. And Ahaz took all the bronze and the gold and everything out of the temple, closed the temple doors, gave it to the king of Assyria, and he put the god of Ashur and an altar to the god of Ashur at every corner in Jerusalem. And nobody could worship the God of Israel anymore. And he thought he had it all, but you want to know something? Something was missing. Something was missing in their lives. He didn't follow God. But what happened was his son knew. And here he thought he had everything, you know, because now they can worship the God of Ashur, and, you know, they're at peace but there was never really any peace and there was always emptiness and there was always this thing in their mind in their heart that they were searching for more because when you don't have God when you don't have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior you worship an idol now we're not so uh, sophisticated that we don't worship idols today we just don't make statues of them anymore hardly what we do is, a, a God, your God is your master passion. What controls the decision process of your life? What do you live for? Some people live for their mortgage. Some people live for drugs. Some people live for the party. But whatever it is, when one day you realize this is emptiness. This doesn't satisfy me because the Bible says God put eternity in your hearts. He's the only one that can fill you. He's the only one that makes you complete. He is the only, and serving him is the only thing that will truly make you happy because that's what you were made to do. And when you discover Christ, your life becomes full, complete. And this is what happens to Hezekiah. When he takes over, he destroys all the idols on every corner. And he opens up the house of God and he tells the Levites and priests, clean it up and let's get this thing rolling again. He turns the people back to the Lord and he even institutes the Passover all over again. And the people are just excited and revival begins to happen in Israel. And he tells the king of Assyria, I'm not going to follow you and your idols. Because the king of Assyria was also the chief priest of the idol Ahaz. So when you follow the king, you follow the priest too. And he says, we're not going to follow you. We're going to follow God. We're going to follow the God of Israel. So the king came down with his armies and started taking all the cities of Judah surrounding Jerusalem, all the fortified cities, and then he's over here in Lachish, down a little bit southwest of Jude, Jerusalem. And he sends his uh, prime minister, the, the Rebshekah. 
And he sends him up with two generals and 186,000 troops to go take Jerusalem because of his rebellion. And when he goes there, what the, ta- the task, what they do, and what they did in Samaria, is they completely surround the city. No food in, no food out, no nothing coming in, no nothing coming out. They completely surround it, so nothing. And they have all the food and everything they need. And they hold out, they held out for three years till the people were eating their children. Then after three years, they invaded and destroyed them. That's what they do. That's how bad they are. And so now they're sitting to do this to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah. And the Rabshakeh, the prime minister, comes and he goes and he's going to speak right at the, the city gates and people are lining up along the wall to see you know, and they speak, uh, at that time, uh, it was ancient Aramaic, which today is uh, uh, Armenian. And, and he's going to speak, and the uh, uh, emissary comes out to meet him, you know, from, from Jerusalem, from the king. And they get together, and he doesn't speak in Aramaic, he speaks in Hebrew. So everybody can hear him on the wall. You know, the citizens can hear him talking and negotiating. And this is what he says. Turn to Isaiah chapter 36, verse 13. It says, Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew, and he said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. You see, before this, they told him, Stop speaking in Hebrew. We understand Aramaic. The people on the wall are hearing you. He says, Hey, Aren't they going to be destroyed just like you? I want them to hear me. And he's saying, don't trust the king Hezekiah. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me and buy a present or surrender and come out to me. And let every one of you eat and every one of you will eat of his own vine and every one of you his own fig tree and every one of you will drink from his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. So he's saying, hey, just surrender. And we'll make sure you guys are well set. If you surrender and you don't fight, we'll give you grain, we'll give you new wine, we'll give you your own thing, your own land, basically. It's what he's telling we're going to give you your own place. And then, you know, when my king comes down, then we'll take you to a new land that's just as good, if not better. But the truth is that the Assyrian Empire was legendary for the way they handled people that they took in captivity. Whole cities would rather commit mass suicide than to be taken captive by the Assyrians. You see, the Assyrians had a couple things that they practiced. One, you could not go into captivity whole. They had to take out your eye, they had to take a hand, they had to cut off your foot, they had to do something, but you could not go into captivity as a whole person. 
every single one of them. They were cruel. Then they would take a big hook with a hole in it, and what they would do is they would take it, and right under your uh, lip line, they'd pop it through, and they'd pull it through your mouth. And they would attach a chain to it, and they would drag you by your face into captivity. Then they would plant you in a completely different country so that you would lose all identity and have to trust them. And they would make sure you stayed poor and they'd tax you and oppress you every single day. So he was lying to them. He was lying to them saying, it's okay. If you surrender to us, we'll make sure you're well taken care of, and then we'll take you to a land that's even better than the one you have, and you'll have your own place, and you'll have peace, and the whole thing. But in reality, there was no peace. In reality, it was severe bondage. It was complete enslavement. And they, did, they took you out of your land into another land to completely destroy who you are. To erase your identity. Because people would, you know, people of other lands, you know, they would have a, the God of the hills or the God of the valleys in their area. And that's why they would take you out to completely destroy who you are inside. To the point where you would be crying out. And you would be saying, man, I hate this. But he was lying to you. So that's part of the strategy of Satan that we see here. You see, part of it is, is that whenever you want to really commit to God, that's when Satan besieges you like the city. Whenever you finally say, you know what, I'm tired of this. I want more. There's more than what I'm getting now. Because my soul is unsatisfied. It doesn't come... I haven't been satisfied by the material things that I've been buying. I haven't been satisfied by my video games. I haven't been satisfied by all the uh, things that I bought. My home or the drugs that I've taken or the alcohol I've been drinking or anything. Nothing satisfies. There's more. And you decide one day, I'm going to follow God with all my heart. God, I'm going to commit to you. And when you do that, what happened? Satan comes in like a flood. He comes to take you out hard. And he comes in, he besieges the city. You know, we see that with Jehoshaphat too. Jehoshaphat the king had revival in his time. And when he did, that's when uh, an army of, of all these different nations, uh, a number that could not even be numbered, came up against him. Just at that time. And here, Hezekiah just destroys all the idols, gets revival going, practices the Passover. Everybody's excited about God. Then here comes the devil, hitting full force. And what's he saying? You can't be free from me. You can't get away from me. You're stuck with me. You'll never overcome. You'll never change. And he lies to you. And he says, life is okay here. And he lies to you and says, you know what? You know what? You don't need that religious stuff. You don't need all the 
I can't do this, I can't do that. You can be free with me and I'll take care of you and I have everything you need. But what is it? He leads you into bondage. It never satisfies. He lies to you and tells you how good things are going to be and they're not. And they always leave you empty. And they always not only hurt you, it hurts others around you either directly or them watching you spin out of control and it grieves her heart and it breaks him. But we see these lies that he produces. He says, you can't do it. You can't overcome me. Look at all the, the army I have. I have 186,000 troops completely surrounding you. You are not going to make it. You are not going to win this. Matter of fact, one of the things that he told him before this is he said, Tell you what, I'll give you 2,000 horses and see if you have enough men just to put on those horses to come and fight us. He was challenging him. And that's the way the devil does you. He says, you can't win. You can't overcome. Especially with addiction, he tells you, you can't win. You can't overcome. I got you. And it's a lie. It's a complete lie to try to control you. And he lies to you that way to try to control you. He lies to you, he lies or to sway you to stay. And we talked about that, how he does that. He also uh, tells you there's going to be a life without conflict, uh, prosperous and free. You don't have to deal with it. You see, he tries to convince you that you don't have peace because you're dealing with this. Temptation comes and hits you and pounds you and pounds you and pounds you. And he says, just give in and you'll have peace. You won't have to worry about it if you just give in. But you want to know something? He lies again. Because when you sin, you feel guilty. You feel empty. And he promised you all this and it ended up breaking your heart. It ended up destroying you. Because you want to know something? The Bible doesn't teach that we have peace when we give in. The Bible teaches we have peace when we fight. And we go get that victory. You see, your peace doesn't come just passively. Your peace comes because you stand in the victory of Jesus Christ at the cross. And that's where your victory is. You've got to go fight for that peace. Because he will not stop. He will come after you. He will give it his all. But you must choose not to do it. You must choose to battle. He's going to say, you'll have peace. Come on. I'm going to pound you. I'm going to pound you. I'm going to tempt you. And so what the Reb Shekha tries to do is he tries to tell him, you've got to surrender, man. You surrender and everything's going to be okay. And that's what the devil tells us. But let's look at what Hezekiah does. Let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 37, verse 15. Uh, Hezekiah responds to the Reb Shekha. And in verse 15 of Isaiah chapter 37, he says, Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, 
the one who dwells between the cherubim. You are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria has laid waste all the nations of the lands, and he has cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands and wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are Lord, you alone. He doesn't surrender to the king of Assyria. He surrenders to God. Did you notice that? He doesn't surrender to the uh, Rebshekah. He surrenders to God. And he takes it, God, I surrender to you. And I got this. And I'm dealing with this. And I need you to help me. I'm not going to surrender to him. I'm going to surrender to you, but I need you to deliver me. I need you to save me. And he turns to God. He surrenders to God rather than to the devil. And that decision is up to us in the midst of any temptation that the strategy of Satan brings us to. We must come to that decision. I don't surrender to you. I surrender to the Lord. And when you do that, you realize The battle's not yours. The battle is the Lord's. Because why? We are fighting in a spiritual realm. We are combating against demons, against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Now, the Bible says that Satan was the sum of wisdom as Lucifer meaning he was the most intelligent being God ever created. You can't argue with him. And if you're dealing with your flesh, the flesh is not designed to submit to you. The flesh is designed to have its way. It will never acknowledge God's way. You can't reason with it and say, well, God says this. He doesn't care. This is what he wants. This is it. And he will pursue his pleasure, the flesh will pursue his satisfaction to your death. You will pop pills, you will pop pills to get high, you will smoke, you'll do whatever, until the day that you OD. You will pursue sin to your destruction until you realize this is not the way of life. I want God And I want to surrender to God. Lord, here I am. I surrender to you. The battle is yours. Show me what to do. And God makes it clear. Let's look at what God's response is to this. He says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege around around against it, By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then 
the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. When the people arose early in the morning, there were corpses all dead. God fought the battle for them. They woke up the next morning and there was just bodies everywhere. And another part of the text talks about the king of Assyria that when he goes back, I'm going to kill him there. And when he went back, he went to worship in the temple of Ashur and his two sons killed him. God completed the whole thing. Hezekiah didn't have to lift a finger. You see, in the spiritual battle, what was Hezekiah's job? What did he have to do? God says he's going to take care of it. Hezekiah's job was to believe him that he was going to do it. That was his job. That was the one thing that God asked him to do. God went to his dad said, I'm going to deliver you. Don't go to the king of Assyria. I'll help you. I'll do this. He says, yeah, whatever. And he went to the king of Assyria anyway. But God told Hezekiah here, and Hezekiah believed him. And God did the work. You see, in the Christian walk, in the battle, the battle belonging to the Lord, remember, it's spiritual. It's not about how strong your will is. It's not about how disciplined you are or how many things you can give up or anything like that. It's about me believing, surrendering, and believing. Because this whole world is full of lies of the devil. And his biggest um, power that he has is to convince you that you are nothing and you are powerless against him. But let's recognize what God has promised and the things that he has called us to believe in order to combat the devil. Super basics, but do we believe them? First of all, his work on the cross. Because the battle was won at his death and resurrection. Understand that against the world, against the flesh, against the devil. He destroyed that power. He destroyed its bondage over you, and he released you from all of that by dying on a cross, and he rose again from the dead to make sure that you knew it was true, and then he ascended to heaven, sat at the right hand of the Father, and said, it's done, it's finished. When Joshua went out to battle with the children of Israel, he led them through so many battles, Jericho, Ai, taking the southern kingdoms, taking the northern kingdoms. And when he was done, he said, okay, we're done. Now you guys split off into the territories that you've been assigned, and you go fight there. Because there was still remnants in there, but the main war of the whole country was done. They just had to go into the little pockets that they were given and go conquer there. You see... The fight against the devil and the world and the flesh is won. It's won at the cross. It's done. Now we have to go live it. Do we live like it's done? Do we walk like it's done? See, the war is won. We just have to fight the battles. 
Didn't that way he told Joshua, everywhere I set you, you set your foot, I've given to you. It's already won. Go fight the battles. And that part of that is the cross. Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We are not slaves of Assyria anymore. We are not slaves to sin anymore. Those chains were broken. Do you believe it? Because believing a lie has sent us into bondage and hopelessness and tears and discouragement and depression. Then stop believing the lies. Start believing the truth and live that. Hey, Old man, you're crucified. I am no longer a slave to you. I'm a slave of God. I surrender to God. And the power of the cross takes effect within your life. The power of God moves in your life as you appropriate it by faith. That's why you struggle, because you don't believe. Do you believe that the flesh has been crucified? Do you believe that the power of sin no longer reigns over you? Believe it. See, God will empower you. God will bless you. God will help you. The scripture says that the, the Lord, when the enemy raises up, uh, raises up against you, the Lord raises up a standard against him. God is there for you. God is there to help you. He's there to destroy that work. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, In so much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he became Jesus' partaker, that likewise in the same, that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death. That's the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The devil's work is destroyed. He says it right there in Scripture. In Colossians 2.15, it says, Having disarmed the principalities and powers, that's the demons, and made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. That pu- word public spectacle is when, you're, when the Romans would come into town after war, and they'd be parading and all the people would be cheering. They would have a section to where the, they had uh, people, prisoners, and they had broken their spears and broken their swords and broken their shields and they stripped them naked and they tied all their broken weapons to their back and they paraded them in front of the people to show how powerful they were. And God is saying, that's what I did to the devil. That's what I did to the world. That's what I did to the flesh. I broke their power. I broke their weapons. And you stand with me. And that's the power of the cross. Okay? The power of the resurrection. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. Hey, if you identify with him at the cross, and you're able to say, I'm not a slave to sin anymore, then you are able to identify him with him in the resurrection. And the same power, the Holy Spirit, that raised him from the dead is able to give you newness of life. He's able to empower you. 
to give you the strength that you need to overcome. Lord, give me the strength. And that resurrection power is activated in your heart and life. Just to give you an example of that appropriating faith I'm talking about. You know, um, Jesus was uh, in the synagogue. And it's on the Sabbath and they had a guy with a withered hand sitting there. And everybody was staring at him. Is he going to heal him or not? You know, then we have some against him. So Jesus challenged him and said, tell me. Is it right to do good or evil on the Sabbath? And they stayed quiet. They didn't want to answer him. So he got up. He says, told that man, come here. And the guy with the withered hand went up to him and says, stretch out your hand. And as he stretched out his hand, it came to life and it became whole again. Now the guy could have said, no, I can't stretch out my hand. My hand's withered. Can't you see? But he believed. And the moment that he believed, and the moment that he acted on his face, and stretched out his hand in faith, God empowered him, God healed him. So us, when you believe the word of God, hey, I'm not your slave anymore. When you believe the word of God, God empower me with the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome. Boom, it comes. It's there for you. How many Christians sit powerless because they believe a lie instead of the truth, instead of overcoming? Isaiah chapter 40 verses 29 through 31 says, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The words there where it says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. It's very specific. Because eagles ride thermals. What a thermal is, is that you have this cold energy coming in, like a storm. And this hot energy above it. And it just creates this, this uh, thermal, that, that this wind shooting up because the cold air is coming up. And what the eagle would do is he would s- sit on the mountain, see the storm coming, and they could sense the thermal. And they would dive. And as they dive, they catch that thermal. And that thermal would shoot them so high, they didn't even have to flap their wings. They would go so high, they would sail above the storm. That's what God's saying here to you. I'm going to carry you above the storm. I'm going to strengthen you. It's going to seem like you're going to mount up on eagle's wings and we're going to soar above the storm. He says, I can strengthen you. When you're weak, I can be there for you. Do you believe it? Because there's going to come a time where you have to choose, am I going to surrender to sin? Am I going to surrender to the flesh? Am I going to surrender to the devil? Or am I going to surrender to God like Hezekiah? Bring it before him and say, here I am, Lord. Let's do this. Because when you do, you're going to have two things. You're going to have peace. Because you defeated the devil the world, and the flesh. And you finally got the proper perspective and now he's scared of you. 
because you're not buying the lies anymore. And secondly, you have victory. You know how sweet victory is? You know? You ever, you know, watch a basketball game and there's like two seconds on the clock, the shot goes in and they win the game and everybody's screaming, cheering, going crazy. That's what victory feels like. You want to live there, man. You want to be there all the time. That's living exciting Christianity. That's living for the Lord and really watching God do the work. Understand the promises that God has for you. First of all, he promises that he is able to keep you. Jude chapter 1 verse 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He's able to keep you from stumbling. Do you realize that? He's powerful enough to keep you from falling. Trust him. He always provides a way out. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overcome you except which is common to man. In other words, everybody goes through temptation. People overcome this. This isn't, and the devil tries to tell you it's, it's you only have this big struggle. You know, there's a, every, there's a lot of people that go through struggle with drugs or struggle with alcohol or struggle with the, whatever sin that you have. But the devil's trying to tell you, oh, this is unique, it's special. It's not. He says, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will always make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. God will always make a way for you. He will always have it there for you. And God will always see you through it. You remember when uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego got thrown in the fire? And the king said, how many guys are we throwing in there? Three. Well, how come there's four and one of them looks like the son of God? He says, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, come out. And the only thing that burned, the only thing that burned were the bonds that held them. When you go through the fire, Jesus will be with you. And when it's all done, the only thing that's going to be burned away are those things that held you back. He'll purify it. He'll make it happen. He'll be with you through it. And lastly, he will finish what he started. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Being confident of this very thing, that he has, who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Know that. He is faithful. We can't, I mean, understand, Satan in one shape or another will come at you with a plan and a strategy. And yeah, you are not strong enough to handle it. But don't go surrender to him when temptation comes. Surrender to the Lord. His idea? You can't deal with it. You can't handle it. I'll take care of you. You don't need to fight it. You don't need that bondage of Christianity. Come to me and I'll give you everything you want. But the only thing he's going to do is be an evil taskmaster to your life and leave you empty and hurting. And don't be like the prodigal son that had to wait until he had nothing. And say, you know what? I've had it with this life. 
Turn now and live to the fullest that God has intended for you. Find out what sweet victory really tastes like in the power of God because he wants to fellowship with you. He wants to be with you all the time. It's us who walks away. But in his presence, the scripture says, is fullness of joy. You want to be happy? Be in the presence of God. In his presence is fullness of joy. Begin to live the life that God intended for you. Because it's not in bondage. And understand, God wiped out 186,000. The army that was impossible to beat. God will wipe out all the enemy in front of you. And give you victory. And you stand in his power. And believe in the work that he's done. Because Hezekiah didn't have to lift a finger. He just had to believe what God told him. God has told us these things in his word. Do you believe them? Or do you go, yeah, but yeah, but you don't know what I'm really going through. Yeah, but you don't do, you know what? You don't believe them. You believe the lies. And all those things that are happening in your life are true because you choose to believe them. But when you choose to believe the victory that God's given you and the way that he's told you how to do it, he will empower you. And he will give you that victory you so earnestly seek. And you will be filled with the fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord.